Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, The Frome Murders. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brandy. Welcome back, I should say. Welcome, Welcome back. Welcome us back. I feel like we've been gone a while. Where have I been? But we haven't. We've been together. We were in Friona last weekend, putting on an awesome show. Um, but we're back in our our little uh, cozy stu- studio. Studio, yes, a studio, a <laughs> studio. Yes, we are. We had a great time in Friona, though. We did. We had a lot of fun. I hope a good road um, trip, good drive out there, and everything it was. Yeah, I mean, it's it was what a little over six hours. Is that about, yeah, about like six. six hours? Six, about six and a half. Six when you're with someone, though, it doesn't seem like it. Like, it didn't seem... Well, when know. you're the one driving... <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And you have I the one next it. to you sleeping. Of course, it feels nothing Guys, like it. Guys, like, It's like time traveling almost, right? You time traveled. <laughs> Don't ever take a road trip I didn't time travel. <laughs> I fall asleep, like, after the first hour. I felt it- every minute of the drive, <laughs> quite frankly. But well, it was okay. I didn't mind it. I, no. I like driving. Yeah, it was good. But it yeah. was good. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, I felt every minute. <laughs> but it was a nice little drive. We went into New Mexico um, when we were there, so that was fun. So we were only like fifteen minutes off the border of New Mexico. We were. We were way west. Um, but it was fun. Thank you, Aaron. Again. Yep, it was a cool little town. It was cool a little town. Delicious food. Yes. Great hospitality. Uh, great wine that we had there, and That's great fun. crowd of uh, of people that uh, came out to see us. Yes, yes. And actually some people that had traveled to see us that had met us at CrimeCon. Yes, CrimeCon. And then a few of the people had seen our show in Lubbock. Yep. Um, it was it's it was a lot of fun. Um yeah, Friona now definitely holds a little special place in our heart. Yes. So we'll be back to visit. We'll just stop and pick up a twelve pack before we go back. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't sell beer and just Friona. a little dry there. Um or wine. Yeah, or wine. Um all right, so Chris, we've got a few end of the year announcements. I mean, we'll be back before the end of the year, but things that are just, you know, we're kind of closing out the new, the old year, getting ready for the new year. Um, Patreon has switched over. So if you haven't joined our Patreon, you should. It's $5 a month. Now we've made it just a, 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 a level playing field, I would say. So Chris, we're putting up all the recipes. Um, one a week is what we're going to be doing. All of your awesome recipes people can get. Uh, we're going to be sharing the wine discounts that we have um, with our listeners. And then we're going to be doing a usual suspects uh, bonus episode for our friends once a month. So come come join us on Patreon. Um, live shows for the spring. If you know a winery that wants to have us out to do a live show, we've got um, just a few openings we're going to do. I think we said, Chris, like April, May would be a good time for us before school gets out. Sure. And the summer kind of kicks have, in. Have wine, we'll travel. Yes. So if you have a local winery that, um, you know, just has entertainment and and you want to see or maybe hear a little true crime out there, let us know. Um, share share that with them. Uh, and then we have Chateau Wright. We've had their wines all month long. Thank you to our friends at Chateau Wright. You can still get 10% off your order by just putting in wine and crime, Chris, when they check out. And we still have one, well, really two, two. with the wine tonight um, yep. to uh, kind of pair. Uh, so we have our right. little variety this evening and then one final one. Yes. And then... Um, They've all been great, though, so far leading up to this. Uh, we'll see how that fourth one is, but... Yes, they are. And guys, I'm sure it'll be good as well. Yeah. And also, if you're on our Patreon, you also get um, free shipping 
wine is expensive to ship. Mm-hmm. You're going to get free Whether shipping. Whether you get one bottle or a case, it's almost um, easier just to get the whole case. It really is. And and I'm telling you, you've got to try these wines. You get 10% off and you get free shipping if you're on Patreon. So just another reason to join there because we're going to be um, doing these specials throughout the year. So thank you, Chateau Wright, for for trusting us with your wine, um, bringing it on the show, Chris pairing it with some awesome dishes. So thank you, friends. Um, and, and Chris has told me that the area that Chateau Wright is in is the place we need to visit. So that'll be our next road trip. <laughs> we we're we're brand new. We'll time trip. travel to Fort Davis. <laughs> All and right. I'll feel every minute of it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Chris, as always, um, we're going to be talking about the Frome Murners, and we want to give a little bit of information about where this crime takes place, and that is in El Paso. So let's learn a little bit more because we've done El now, Paso. That's a before. long drive, too. That is a long drive. Uh, 17-year-old Elizabeth Taylor visited El Paso in 1950 before her wedding to Conrad Nicky Hilton Jr. and stayed in the penthouse of El Paso's Hilton Plaza Hotel. Fascinating. That is fascinating. I don't, why did I not, why did I, I, I don't think I knew Elizabeth Taylor why was married at 17. Why did she visit there? Were they filming a movie or something in Texas? No, they were getting married. She was about to get married to Conrad Nikki Hilton Jr. Oh, that's just where they chose. That was the mm-hmm. Hilton Hotel. That's the Hilton, I the hotel, I think I read it um, opened in like 1930 or 1935. It just seems like of all the Hilton hotels in, in the United uh-huh. States that I'm not saying anything negative. I'm just, you know, you've got New York and um, LA and. Yeah, I don't know. They were visiting El Paso. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't even come to Dallas over <laughs> those other two locations. Should if I had my choice of Hiltons in the in the in the nation. Yes, number two, babe. El Paso is the only major city in Texas that works on Mountain Standard Time. Okay, I'm not sure if I knew that. I well, think maybe I did. Yeah, we realized too our our radio. <laughs> oh, that's how changed we when we drove into um, Clovis yes. last weekend. Yes, it did. And the time, yeah, the time changed. Yeah. Yeah. Our phones changed. It went to, we were suddenly. That was weird. Gained an hour. That was so weird to drive 15 minutes and then you're an hour behind. That's weird. That was weird. All right. Number three, El Paso's official slogan is you better El Paso up. Did you know that? I did not. I did. I've heard a cowboy up and not El Paso up. Um, The the other thing I read about El Paso, um, I guess you're going to get four facts. It's boot capital of Texas. Do you know why? I don't. I do not know why. Okay, well, I'm going to do a little I bit investigating not. and figure out why it's Lots of boots get sold here in the state, so. Yeah, that's true. What makes them the capital? I do not know, but I will find out. Uh, all right, Chris, there is a book about this case called In the Mesquite, The Solving of the 1938 West Texas Kidnap, Torture Murders of Hazel and Nancy Frome. Um, now, some of this information I'm going to talk about, I so I have read this book. Um, I found it fascinating, and I will get to the really fascinating part about the book at the end of um, our story. Uh, now, this case is considered unsolved in the eyes of Texas, but Steve Hodell, who wrote this book, that name might sound familiar, friends. Um, he believes he knows who killed the two women, and he wrote a book about it. Um, in March of 1938, 50-year-old Hazel Frome and her 23-year-old daughter, Nancy Frome, decided to take a cross-country trip to visit Hazel's other daughter in South Carolina. The Frome family was a family of means, Chris. They are from Berkeley, California. 
Um, the man of the house, a 50-year-old Weston Frome, was a prominent Berkeley businessman and had recently won a brand new touring car in a raffle. So this was a 25-cent raffle, and he wins a car. Uh, this car is a 1937 Packard Series 8. Now, I was looking at pictures. Does this kind of... Is it a, it's a big car. It sat like seven or eight people, I think I read. Are you yeah. familiar with the Packard? I do remember the Packards. They don't make them any longer, of course. Is but. it a family car? Um, I don't know. I guess we could it Google it. It looked kind of big. Okay, so it fed seven or eight people. It looked kind of I mean, of I large. think of like a, yeah, it could be the SUV of the day, perhaps. Oh, if it, that, okay, if it sat yeah. that many people. I yeah. mean, that's got to have a third a row seat, right? It's very popular right. in today's minivan. <laughs> it is popular in today's minivan. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, they're in a they're in a, a new car, right? So her dad wins this um, wins this raffle. He wins this car, and he decides he's going to gift it to his daughter Nancy, who had just graduated from UC Berkeley. Because, that's a nice gift. Yeah, because every kid needs a car that seats seven or eight. <laughs> well, these these people have money, right? He already has his cars. He already has money. He wins this in a raffle. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to pass it on to my daughter. She just graduated. Um, so this is when the mom and daughter duo decide they are going to test out this car and take it on that road trip from California to South Carolina. Okay, Chris, so the ladies plan to be on the road for approximately six days. So based on their calculation of uh, and their travel time and where they're going to stop, um, on day six, they should be in South Carolina. So that's the plan. Now, the women depart their home in Berkeley on March 23rd, 1938. Um Chris, these women have lots of expensive luggage with them, lots of expensive jewelry. They are planning to stop throughout their journey. They, they're going to stay in hotels. They're going to kind of make this an adventure of sorts, right? It's, a, it's like a cross-country cross country road trip. A Thelma and Louise of sorts. Yes, and they're going to stop, right? These Again, these women. I did, and then I did look up the car, just so you know. It's not oh. an SUV, so okay. it doesn't see seven or eight people. I'm not sure where you got that information. Oh. It doesn't? Okay. No. Hmm. Interesting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. Standard. Standard <laughs> sedan. Cool looking, though. I must Very have cool looking. It. Oh, is it cool looking? Yeah. Okay. I'm not even sure cars had enough power in them to haul seven or eight people at one time, <laughs> Brandy. So, I'm sorry. In 1937. <laughs> That's why you're here, Head, and talk, yeah. bring the logic back in it. Um, all right. So by day six, they should be in South Carolina. All right, Chris, like I mentioned, um, these women... They are traveling with their with their jewelry, with their very expensive clothes. They plan on stopping in hotels. Um, the women head south, so they're going to L.A. So they that's their first stop, Chris. They stop in L.A., stay the night in the Biltmore. Um, the Biltmore Hotel is an L.A. staple, and it's also the last known sighting of Elizabeth Short. If anybody hasn't heard of the Black Dahlia case, which I'm sure you have, um, this um, hotel, Chris, is the last um, known sighting of Elizabeth Short before she is found deceased. Interesting. Um, the Black Dahlia. So if you haven't read about the Black Dahlia, you should. Um, also a California case. Uh, anyone? Um, now, Chris, 
this will be the first of many connections between the Frum women and the Black Dahlia, which I found, which is why I found this book so fascinating. Um, after leaving, so the women stay at the Biltmore. They leave LA the next day, and now they're headed for Phoenix. So they get to Phoenix, Arizona, and they check in to the Sea Breeze Motel. Um, after staying at the Sea Breeze, um, they check out the very next day, and on March twenty fifth, night. 1948, um, the pair arrive in um, El Paso. Uh, I'm sorry, not 1948, 1938. They land, um, they arrive in El Paso. Okay, so the women check into the Cortez Hotel. Um, when they arrive, they tell the concierge that the Packard is puttering and making some strange noises. Um, Hazel asked the concierge to please take the car to the shop. So the women um, tell the concierge that the car is puttering and the car needs to be looked at before they can get back on the road. So a hotel staff member, Chris, this is how concierge used to work, I suppose. They take your car and get it serviced when you're in their hotel. It's amazing. I have not utilized a concierge <laughs> in many, many moons. I didn't know they existed. I know they have them still, but you know. Yeah. They used to make a big deal out of the concierge. Back yeah. In the day. This is probably why. All right. So a hotel staff member ends up taking this car to the shop, and the news is not good, Chris. Um, the car. Place. This is why they don't make Packards anymore, by the way. <laughs> yeah. This pretty is brand new. <laughs> the mechanic notifies the women that parts are going to be, they, they, they're they going to need some parts for this car, um, and they're going to have to be ordered. And it won't be ready for another four or five days. So now they're going to be stuck in El Paso um, for the next, and this is, um, and that's what they do. They end up staying at the Corto, Cortez Hotel for another five days while they're waiting on their car. Um, now, the women take full advantage of their time in El Paso. Um, so this is back 1938. El Paso, well, not in 1938. It's still a hop, skip, and a jump from Roras, Mexico. I'm surprised they get like a Sewell loaner or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they have those. <laughs> Although we did talk about a member, Clyde Barrow, who did not return a rental car in the 1920s. So they definitely have rentals. But this is their car. And they're not from Texas, right? So... They're, they want their car. You know, they've got to go to South Carolina. They're planning on, planning on staying there. They don't want to have to come back to El Paso to get their car. So they're just going to wait it out. I know. And there wasn't a Sewell Packard back then either. Not so. a Sewell Packard, but there was a rental car if they wanted one. Um, El Paso is um, just um, separated by the Rio Grande River uh, from Juarez, Mexico. So back in 1938, there used to be a trolley that would take people back and forth from Juarez to El Paso and vice versa. Oh, yes. It's very pretty easy, awesome. Very easy to cross. Um, in 1974, it stopped running between the two cities. Um, but then, Chris, they opened service again in 2018, but the trolley just goes around the city of El Paso. It no longer takes you into Mexico and back. Yeah, they kind of locked down. They got the, the whole border, yeah. border thing, you know. I know. The good old days when you could just go into Mexico and come right back over. Oh, you can still go. I know. I you know can you right can. Back. You just don't want to go to Juarez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's for, that's for damn sure. Yeah. It's the last place you want to go. Well, back in 1938, they were living it up in Juarez. Oh, yeah. yeah they were. Spot. Yeah. So um, from March 26th to March 28th, the women are seen on this trolley entering Mexico. 
they're spotted in several cafes, restaurants in Juarez. So the first night they go shopping in Mexico. The second night they meet up with a customer of the father's company. So the husband of Hazel owns a company and one of his customer's clients lives in El Paso. So the women decide they're going to meet up with them and they go into Juarez um, to have dinner and then they go back into the court um, to the Cortez hotel. Now, um, so the third night they're having dinner, they're having drinks in Juarez. Now, Chris, this is the night in my opinion that these sort of events, chain of events that we're about to see 24 to 48 hours before something happens, like we always say, things started to happen um, after this third night visiting Juarez. Uh, witnesses came forward and said two men approached their table and asked them to dance. One witness claimed the women um, declined the dance with the men. Um, and then another witness came forward and said that the two men approached the Frome's table and asked if they wanted to join them across the street at the cafe Tivoli. So this was just a cafe right across the street from the women were having drinks. Um, now, the men, the witness said that the men left. The, the Frome women stayed behind to finish their drinks. Then they leave, but it's not actually ever known if they went across the street to the cafe Tivoli. Um, the next day, March 29th, uh, Hazel Frome went to a nearby hair salon in El Paso. The salon owner would later tell authorities there was a man outside of the salon looking into the windows and was clearly looking at Hazel Frome. Now, after Hazel leaves the salon, she is seen speaking to this man outside, and the witness says the two start walking and talking to one another, which is weird because these women are not from Texas. Mm -hmm. They're from California. Why would anyone, and they've they've been here, what, at this point, three days, um, going on their fourth day. How would they, who would they be meeting? You who know? knows? It could have been somebody from the hotel. They spent five days there. They probably ate in the restaurants and yeah. drank at the bars. And, you know, I mean, yeah, you don't want to sit around in your room the entire time if you're there that long. So I'm right. sure they milled about the town and, and whatnot. So you're saying it could just be somebody they met. I, I still just find that a little odd. I don't like, know if they're going out to Juarez and partying every night. So, I mean, who yeah. knows? They appear to be pretty friendly. Yes, they are. Pretty, be. pretty friendly. I mean, I wouldn't. The witnesses didn't say that these women were like overly intoxicated or throwing themselves at anyone. Like they, they both seemed pretty, um, you know, clear in their actions. But it was strange that you have these men coming up to the table. And by the way, another witness said that Nan that Hazel Frome. Um, was speaking to one were of these the men. American men that were coming. So up or, or we don't Hispanic know. men. They don't know. They some of them said they were dark haired, dark eyes. Um, one looked and, and like they, from Mexico. They were no, I would not say they were from Mexico. Um, the description has just been more of like Caucasian, or at least one of them looked like he that he might have been. Um, you know, of another nationality besides just Caucasian, but, but then nobody really knows. They just describe what these men look like well-dressed wearing top hats. Um, you know, they weren't like off the streets. I would say they top were, hats. Yeah. That's what they said. They were wearing like hats. They removed their hats 
the guy said they both removed their hats when they went up and spoke to the women. So, you know, people of manners, maybe, you know, I'm saying it's 19, possibly for It's money. 1937. I don't know if people walk around top hats still, but. <laughs> well, they said that they, the men ha- had removed their hats. And, put, I mean, these witnesses were very Probably clear on, like, what yeah, they like saw. A, maybe a fedora at that point. Maybe it was a fedora. I'm going to go with a fedora, know. not top, top hat. hat. I just mean a hat, a okay? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Four score, ladies. Four score and seven years ago. So just hours later, near the Cortez Hotel. So she leaves the salon, okay? Um, Toby Martin, the owner of a Martin Travel Agency, says that both from women came into his business and asked him if he would be able to find someone to an accompany them, Chris, from El Paso to Dallas, a man to find a man that can accompany this, these women from El Paso to Dallas. Now, this is a very, very telling sign for me. These are two women who want a male companion to get from El Paso to basically, in my opinion, to make sure they make it safely from El Paso to Dallas. So this is red flag number one. Mm-hmm. Um, the owner of the travel agency said, and, and by the way, the women asked for a presentable looking man and that there would be no charge for him to take this trip. Um, he thought the re- uh, the request was unusual and he told the women, I don't he that he doesn't know anyone that would be able to make this trip this quickly, basically. And he said the women just turned around and walked out. Um, so this is weird. I wouldn't know of many people that would do that. Well, you, they clearly even, even wanted on long notices are much yeah, much uh business out there for companions for travel. Yeah. Um he said they seemed it's not a bad idea, like, I'm just saying. I mean, well, yeah, I mean he se- he said they also seemed just a little um, not I wouldn't say frantic, but just pretty assertive, like that that they were really wanting somebody to to accompany them. So so something's not right. They're not feeling right about something. Um, the women. So that that night they go back to Juarez. So this is basically the last night. Um, at in in El Paso. This is their last night. So they're they're seen in Juarez later that night having dinner at the Spanish Town Cafe. Um, and then later, more later, later that night, the women are actually seen dancing with two men at a local Juarez nightclub. Uh, no big information about these guys. You can probably find a lot of this information in the book. Um, again, they're just kind of described, you know, mid thirties, maybe early forties, good, you know, good looking men, well-dressed, now, after they leave the nightclub, they return to the Cortez Hotel, and Chris, waiting for them at the front desk, is a package. And this package, all it says is their last name on it, F-R-O-M-E, from. That's all it says on the package. Um, the concierge gives the women the package, and they go upstairs. The next morning, a maid at the hotel by the name of Maria Baca, was, who was later interviewed, she told authorities that she saw two women reading a letter in their room. Now, Maria, she, she said that the door was propped open. She said that she is, you know, she's the maid. She was going up and down the halls, cleaning the rooms, and she heard voices. 
Now, the Frome women are checking out um, that day, and Maria... And so Maria tells authorities that these women looked visibly shaken. Now, Maria did not speak English, so she could not make out what the women were saying. But she told authorities that they looked scared, nervous, and uh, worried. So so clearly, the letter, the pack, by the way, these letters and package have never been found. Does anybody know who the letter came from? No. I'm going to assume it just came in the package. Um, they they took it with them. Uh, we'll get into what happened later, but that letter and that package have never been found. But it is verified that the package was dropped off and given to the firm women. Um. Okay. So Maria ends up telling this to authorities. Um. After the fact, so the women proceed to check out of the hotel and leave in a hurry. So that is also what Maria um tells the authorities. So the next movement known by the women is at a nearby Texaco station. So the witness from the Texaco told authorities that the women seemed in a hurry and declined his offer to check the oil and tire pressure. So he's trying to, you know, their Packard was just fixed. It's ready to go. It's fixed now. Um, and, and, and basically they had told him that. And so he asked them, you know, do you want me to go ahead and check this for you to, before you get back on the road? And they said, no, no, we don't have time. We're ready. No, we're leaving. Um, Chris, on April 3rd, four days after the women are last seen by multiple witnesses driving on Highway 80, the same day they were at the Texaco, their bodies are found a half mile into the desert off of the freeway. Their Packard is located three days before the women's bodies are found. It was found near Phantom Lake, which is near Highway 80 and 290. Uh, the car doors were unlocked. Keys were in the ignition um, and no expensive luggage in sight. All of their bags have been taken. Um, the letter the women were seen reading by the maid was never found. It's assumed it was in the luggage, which was gone. Uh, the California plates help police identify the vehicle's owners. And that is the Frome family of Berkeley, California. So these women were clearly scared about something and about someone. Mm -hmm. Um, Their bodies are found um, a half mile into the desert off of um, Highway 80. The women had been brutalized. The autopsy showed the mother, Hazel, had died by a gunshot wound to the head. Now, this bullet came from a thirty-eight caliber. She had a bite mark, Chris, on her left forearm with a large piece of the flesh missing from that arm. It's pretty brutal. That is pretty brutal. She had been you beaten. You bite somebody pretty hard to do that. Yeah. She had been beaten about the head and face. She also had a broken jaw. Um, Chris, they said her face was so swollen, it was almost completely black. Hmm. And she had beaten so, be, been beaten so badly. Um, her corset st- shoulder straps were broken. Her daughter, Nancy, had also been shot in the head at close range. However, Chris, it was determined that this bullet came from a thirty-two caliber, um, so a different gun. So now we have two weapons. Uh, this tells us, most likely, we might have two killers. Uh, she had clear ligature marks on her neck from some type of strangulation. 
Now, Chris, this is horrible. The victim's bodies, her body had been stomped on so severely that both her diaphragm diaphragm and structure stomach ruptured. I mean, and and all this stuff too had to take some time, you know? Yeah. They're out there for a while. Yeah. Um, She had eight separate burn scabs on the back of her right hand. So they think all this took mm -hmm. place where they found the bodies. Um, no. Like dumped there. Dumped there. Um, so it took place someplace else, obviously. Yeah, because in in basically the timeline when the autopsies came back and how long the women had been deceased, they there was like a two to three day gap. So they almost think they were taken somewhere, tortured, beaten. Um, like you said, this stuff takes time, and then murdered. Um, and and. I, I'm going to think they were probably shot in the desert. I would not say they were shot and then brought to the desert. People bring people to the desert and then shoot them. So that's what I'm going to, I'm going to assume. That's what you would do. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, why put, why shoot someone and have blood all in your car, right? Why would you not drive them to somewhere and then shoot them and have no blood in your car? But you've beaten them so badly, right? But you can't, but a bullet is different. So, and they were both shot in the head. So, you know, there's going to be matter and, and stuff. Um, so she had those burn marks, Chris, on the back of her knuckles um, over each finger except those thumbs. So she had eight marks um, over the over her knuckles. That was even that was either um, a cigarette from a cigarette or a cigar. And now it's time for a wine recess. Yeah, all that gore. Uh, Let's talk about food and wine. Hope you're hungry. Please do. All right, what you got? What you got for us tonight? What, you, what I got? What, what you I got? got? Well, for the um, the wine, and let me hold this bottle up here because it's it's a little dim in our um, <laughs> the uh, light from the portal Cave. portal of hell is unsealing <laughs> is not illuminating enough. So another variety from Chateau Wright. Uh, this is this is the Chateau White 2020. Is the uh, vintage. And it's 75% Marsan and 25% Viognier. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking probably this is a heavier body wine. Mm-hmm. And so, and I wanted to prepare fish, a um, little fish dish. And so I made some medallions, same medallions that were bacon wrapped. And since I had leftover bacon, I decided to bacon wrap some scallops and top those with a kind of a lemony garlic butter. Mm-hmm. And then we uh, made some fresh asparagus Yep, and ate it all up. It was so good. No carbs. Yeah. I mean, and it was filling and delicious. Except for the cupcake we had next to it. <laughs> yeah, we did have carb. a cupcake. <laughs> but uh, yeah, very low carb. Uh, but yeah, it was pretty good. I had actually got, I saw the uh, salmon medallion bacon wrapped on uh, our episode of iron chef so mm-hmm. you know props out we to hiroyuki sakai <laughs> well what any in it uh i know there's some iron chef fans out there but yeah chris and i love that show yeah much inspiration to be found but i thought it was good i thought it went it well with good. the wine it, you know salmon is it a did. little uh, fattier fish and and plus the um the bacon mm-hmm. and being a kind of a heavier body wine I yeah. kind of treated it like a Chardonnay of sorts, I guess. And then uh, I thought it went well. It was delicious. It, it was did. Great wine. 
It was delicious. The wine is delicious. Again, you can get 10% off. Go to Chateau Wright's website and just type in wine and crime and you get 10% off your order. Chris, the food was delicious. Thank you. Who doesn't love bacon wrapped stuff? So I know you can never go wrong. <laughs> you can never I go had, wrong. I it had, was so um, good. You know, 10 piece of bacon staring me <laughs> in the face and figured, well, I got to do something with them. So hello, scallop. Hello, scallop. All right, babe. Are you ready to get back into the case? Yes. Let's do it. I am. And, okay. I mean, I'm sure everybody, yeah, like said all that gore and then let's I talk know, about some more gore. I know. Um, all right. So let's, the similarities in the women, let's talk about that for a minute. Both women had their clothes removed. Uh, they were posed side by side next to each other. Both women had been beaten and what they believe Chris was either a tire iron, a hammer, um, maybe both, but beaten badly. They were both wearing expensive jewelry when their bodies were found. So robbery did not seem to be the motive. Now, their luggage is missing with all their clothes. But I am going to take a little wild guess and and say that that package and that letter probably had something to do with the fact that they took the luggage, um, not for not because they wanted anything from that the women owned in that luggage, because otherwise yeah, I, mean, I think I, they would have taken the jewelry. They left the license plates on the vehicle, so that's one way to identify who they the did. vehicle belonged to. However, maybe. Taking the items, uh, thinking that someone may it would perhaps take longer to identify the bodies. True, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it was in 1937 if you had a, you know, a license plate number and mm-hmm. you were just instantly able to find that, um, like who it belongs to, especially mm-hmm. out of state. Well, they did pretty quickly. So they did identify mm-hmm, that the car belonged to the Frome family. Well, so, they so had then removing all the items from the car doesn't mm-hmm. seem very logical that you wouldn't want them. To be no, I think it goes back to the package. I think that that whoever gave them that oh, package, maybe they just thought it was in one of the bags and grabbed it. Right, home. because if they I mean, didn't they had see days it, though. It seems like they would have. Yeah. yeah. Or if they did take them, what was the Frome family into? How do they have? Do you say they, he was they, a business? He was just a Berkeley businessman. He, he I, I don't know well, what exactly kind of business, what this. I, mean, I do not know. I, know. I did not research him. Result, I mean, is this he was not to my him? concern in this case. <laughs> they just, just have mo- they have money. I mean, they have. Money. I mean, is this something related to the family? Well, they did think that at first. Um, he was involved. You know, I mean, he's a businessman. And this is back in the 1930s, right? So there were some. Well, wasn't there some th- things with the uh, with the Germans in, in California in the 1930s? You had. Um, it's mentioned in. It's mentioned in this book. Oh, they're German from. Hmm. So, so there they were, were some. Spies. Okay, so yes, so there were some there was some talk that maybe the husband it, it's basically that people knew they were traveling and followed them and then murdered them like waiting for them to you know, but again, how would they know their car was going to give out, right? Maybe they just lied and wait. Yeah, so there were there have been different talks I mean, about what possibly following happened. Them and realize they don't yes. leave El Paso, and then kind of hints around. It's 1937. You could probably ask questions a lot easier than you could today. Yes, without raising any suspicions. So Nancy from Chris, she manages to pull a clump of black hair out of the perpetrator's head. So the hair is found in her hand. Um, there was also a bloody men's handkerchief next to her body. 
And the pack of matches were clutched in her left hand. So she has a pack of matches in her left hand, a clump of hair in her right hand, and then a men's handkerchief by the body. Um, Police did find a pair of surgical gloves also near the bodies. Um, But I want to talk about the difference in the brutality of, of what happened to these women. So based on their in- injuries, um, the daughters seem to suffer more torture like acts than the mother. She's got the burning. Maybe trying to get her mother to talk. Yeah. So she's got the burn. She's got the strangulation marks. So there was some, she was stomped on. The mother was not stomped on. Um, so when you see this, you you tend to think that she was the target or 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 at least maybe the information they wanted was from her or if this is a a weirdly sexually motivated crime were were they were they infatuated and after her so so there is just a little there is a significant difference in their in their wounds when it comes to the torture aspect of of this crime. So so I tend to lean that Nancy, the younger the daughter, was the intended target. In I my li- opinion. I like the Nazi spy angle better. It's not it's not I mean, you are right on it. I mean, there this was the idea of that happening was um discussed. It's brought up in the book. It's it's on all kinds of articles about about these murders, but it is something they looked very closely at. They just could not find a connection um, to this. Okay. Um, so the coroner's estimate, like I mentioned earlier, Chris, at the time of the death of both women to approximately two and a half to three days. So if this is correct, that means they were, Chris, most likely taken somewhere, tortured since it was four full days from the time they were last seen until their bodies were found. Um, After news spread of the women's deaths, witnesses started coming forward to say they had seen the Frome women driving on Highway 80 in their Packard. The most credible of these tips, and also the person that led authorities to the bodies of these women, was a delivery driver by the name of Jim Milam. So let's talk about Jim for a minute. Jim Milam told police he came forward after seeing the pictures of the missing women in their car in the paper. So remember, they found the car before they found the bodies. They end up identifying who the car belongs to. But now they have to find, um, and and then once they identify the car and who it belongs to, they knew who was driving it. It's these two women, which they were able to get a picture of and put in the paper. So he sees this, and he tells authorities um, that he sees this packer. He saw this packer driving up and down Highway 80 at least three separate times. Um, Milam said there was also a black sedan following the Packard. But he also said each time there were different people driving both cars. At one point, he's certain the mom and daughter are in the Packard. Um, on another sighting, he says he sees a man driving the Packard and the woman. there's a woman in the passenger seat. And then he tells police at one point the sedan was driven by a woman that was wearing some sort of bonnet on the top of her head. So 
we already see multiple people besides the from women. Okay, we've got, now we see, he's identified at least two other people being seen either in the Packard or in this black sedan. Um, Now, he told police this black sedan had white letters on the side, like an emblem of sort, but he could not make out what it was, what it said. Um, he said he was, he was basically illiterate and he only knew about the, after he would saw the pictures in the paper, right? And so that's when he came forward, but he couldn't read what was on the side of this car. Gestapo. You know what, though? If he would have been able to, you would think that this case would have been solved like early on because he described it as something you. And by the way, he was not the only witness to see this emblem on the side of this black car. Another couple came forward and said that they he they saw the two women pulled over on the side of the road. One of them was standing outside the car and the woman suggested to her husband that they should stop and help them. But he said, no, this black sedan just pulled up and the man, there is a man walking towards the women. Um, that couple also said there was an emblem on the side of the black car and it reminded them of the California Highway Patrol emblem. So remember when police used to have those emblems on the side of their cars? So they said that um, is what it looked like, but they didn't believe it but was actually a police either. one. No, they could, but it was. I think that it said it was like almost dark. So as we always like. Well, to Maria can't hear in English what they're saying because otherwise she would have been able to tell the police, right? right. So that it's like you have Comedy these. Of errors. Yeah, you know, you have this sometimes that happens so in cases. Parents te- teach your children to read. We always want to have a message in every episode, and that's yes. today's message: teach yes. your kids to read. They can solve crimes. Do you know that? Um, I I don't remember exactly the percentage, but. Do you know that the average American can't read a book written over an eighth grade level? Yeah, you know where I work and go in I every know. day. I'm well aware of what people's education. It, level I mean, is. that's it's kind of that's kind of crazy reading. I mean, it's just like it, it's what you should be doing with your kids all the time. Not not because just to teach them to read, but it just brings creativity and yeah, so that's many why more our things. diabetes bible that our hospital created is written in the sixth grade reading level. Yeah. Anyways, sad. Okay, so he can't read what's on the side, but this emblem is seen on this black sedan. Now, another significant tip, Chris, I mentioned, was from that couple who saw the Packard. Um, There was um, Mrs. Hammer is her name, Mr. and Mrs. Hammer, and sees the blonde woman sitting in the black car, and a tall, dark-haired man is seen approaching the Frome women um, as, as they're pulled over on the side of the road. Now, Jim Milam, that delivery driver, Chris, he was able to show the police and backtrack the movements of where he making his deliveries, where he saw this vehicle. And this leads them to tire tracks. And this leads them. They see the tire tracks coming off the road and going into the desert. And Chris, this is how they find their bodies. They follow those tire tracks that he pointed out. And that is how they find the bodies of Nancy and Hazel. Okay, so there was a man questioned and eventually cleared as being a a suspect. He was a doctor, and he was staying at the Cortez Hotel at the time um, the Frome women were staying there. Now, he, Chris, there was some German relation to to this man. Um, It was, they had found the surgical gloves, the way that the women were posed, um, and the the brutality they they seem to think that you know 
could there be someone of of a doctor or someone who would be using surgical gloves in 1938 um a part of this crime because who who where, where else would they come from right so um this is this comes into question and then there's one suspect, Chris, that has not been cleared in this case, and someone that police believe believed to have killed 20 to 30, 30 women. Um, the, a therapist describes him as a sociopath, a sociopath. I cannot talk tonight. What is going on with me? Sociopath. The worst of the worst um, that enjoys torture and killing, and this is George Hodel. Now, Hodel, I just mentioned how there is a book written by Hodel. This was his son who wrote this book. Um, he believed his father, Chris, George Hodel, killed the Black Dahlia. Okay? So the Black Dahlia's murder, I think, was, um, I don't know, maybe 15 years after this, 10, 15 years. I'd have to go back. I know it was in the 1940s, um, late, late 40s. So, um, this is significant because his father was working in New Mexico for the medical and examiner's office in New Mexico at the time the women were in El Paso. Mm -hmm. So he's only about like a 40 minute drive from where these women are. Um, so I mentioned he was, so, so the, again, this was 10 or 15 years before the black Dahlia. So when the black Dahlia was killed, in LA, this guy had this the crazy looking house. They found all of this weird stuff in it eventually. Um, he lived his life out in a high rise in San Francisco. In this book, his son shows a peripheral view of where his father's um, telescope lens would have, where it would have been focused on. And actually part of that view is two women he's actually accused of killing in California. And you can see both of their graves through this telescope. So his son believes that he is not only responsible for the Black Dahlia, for for the for killing these women, um, and I'll tell you why, but so many other crimes. So if you if you get a chance and you're looking for a good book, I highly recommend it. Um, again, it's just Google in the Mesquite, um, and you will you will see um, that that book come up about this case. Okay, so here is the relation and how he starts to relate his father to these women. So. So George Hodel graduated the same year from UC Berkeley as Nancy Frome did, except he was in the medical school area thing. But they graduated the same year. Mm -hmm. Her fiance, William Crawford, was a friend of George Hodel's. Now, remember, the mother said to one of the men, remember, one of the witnesses said the mother said to one of the men that approached the table that she swore she saw him back west. So he looked familiar to her. Um, come to find out, George Hodel was living just five blocks from the fr from the Frome family home while he was at UC Berkeley. So he knew these women, or, or he may not have personally known them, but he was around, and the mother probably recognized him. I mean, he graduated in the same class her daughter did at UC Berkeley. So there's some, there, there's, there's, it's, it. This is just too coincidental in my eyes. This is very, and he just happens to be working in New Mexico. This shoots holes in my 
my uh, Nazi theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Um, so, so, so this is just it seems too coincidental, but this is how he starts to relate his father, and how could he, he how he could have been involved in this case. Um, so. Now, in the book, and this is something for everyone listening, because this book did not come out very long ago, and he's been investigating this case about his dad, but what he wants to know and and what he believes is that there was a medical convention, Chris, taking place at the Cortez Hotel at the same time the Frome women were staying there. The guy who was the original suspect who they questioned was staying at the Cortez Hotel and he was a doctor. He believes that his father, and by the way, there were uh, several other medical doctors and people questioned from the Cortez Hotel. Um, But what he's asking from the public, and I don't know how we find this information out, but he's looking for any record of whether or not there was a medical convention taking place at the Cortez Hotel the same days the women were there. So we're talking 84 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's a long time ago. Who's going to remember that? There has to be some well, record of it, though. That's I mean. what I'm saying. I think there could be record, not so much of like, rather than trying to go, because the Cortez Hotel is no longer there. So trying to go back and find out who was staying at the Cortez Hotel would be much more difficult than trying to find out where, what medical school or what medical facility would have put on this convention. I think that's easier to find out. But if he was a medical examiner, mm-hmm. it would have to be something related to that. What other, what other convention? So, you don't typically go to just every... Right. It has to be your specialty. Right. So he, he notes that in the book, but he said his father was very involved in like learning new things, learning new things about medicine, um, training about medicine. Like a forensic pathology. Yeah, um, I think he just, he said he was, he he's like, if there would have been a convention in El Paso and my father was in New Mexico in the medical examiner's office, he said it was, it would have been a 45 minute drive and he is absolutely certain his father would have been there. Even if it's just to, you know, hit elbows with other fellow doctors, right? He would have just shown up. Hit elbows. You know, elbows. What are they? Rub I don't elbows. Know. Rub elbows. So, um, was it COVID time? <laughs> I don't know. What is they're it? Like, rub elbows. Like I don't even think that's right. COVID. I don't even think that's right. <laughs> um, okay. So, some of this information, like I said, is, is probably impossible to find, but I think there could be something in, in us trying to help find. The, where the medical facility that would have had something like this at the Cortez Hotel. So, I don't think it would have been a medical facility. It could have been just a convention, like some sort of a convention school. Uh, well, the court, well, no, or a medical maybe, convention at the hotel, like held at the hotel. Yeah, so like somebody had like to put it on. one of their rooms. Yeah, but I mean, right. it could have just been a, um, I don't know, a gathering of like some, some sort of a pathology mm-hmm. convention or something like that. I mean, he's... Mm-hmm. A, he's a medical examiner, so that's the only thing I would think like you would need to be. Well, he was at. a medical examiner, but he but he was a surgeon. I mean, that's what he did. But he was he, a surgeon. But he, but he has no. He's not doing any surgeries as a medical examiner, right? No, not yet. He was. He ends up being like a really. Um, that's when he eventually moves to L.A. and becomes a very 
well-known surgeon, gotcha, right? Because gotcha. so, the black dahlia okay. at the time, right? Yes. The black dahlia was found cut in half, completely cut in half, and they they believe somebody would have had some sort of medical background in order to pull that off. So, um, but yeah, he becomes he becomes a big surgeon in LA and and makes a lot of money and has this crazy pad that he had orgies and all kinds of weird shit going on there. I just mean at the, at the time, right? At the time, right? He's a medical examiner. Well, he's working see. in the medical examiner's office. Not as a surgeon, though. I, no. He's basically doing autopsies. Yes. So I'm just saying what type – I'm just trying to say what type of convention he went to. Don't look at me like that. I think it's – My point being is he's not going to any surgery conventions. He's not currently a surgeon. He probably went back to school and became a surgeon. But I'm saying as a medical mm-hmm. examiner, mm-hmm. you're just doing autopsies. Right. You have no – you're not needing to learn any new techniques in surgery. So I, I'm just saying mm-hmm. that if they need to nail it down and see what type of convention it was or gathering, it's probably related to a medical examiner field. That's all I'm saying. And was there a hospital in El Paso that would have put this on? Or would somebody have held this in El Paso but in New Mexico? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but that's what he's asking the public to do is if anybody has any information on whether or not they would know anything about a medical convention at the Cortez Hotel 84 years ago, which is a stretch. But I think it's, um, you know, somebody might have some information about this. Okay. So um, I want to talk a little bit about the witness statements and, um, and, and these women. So when this guy saw this car, right? He sees the Packard. I mentioned multiple people are driving the sedan. Multiple people are driving the Packard. Um, He sees it, you know, three or four different times. Um, One witness came forward and was confident that there was a New Mexico license plate on that black sedan. It's never been confirmed, but um, they did come forward and say that they do believe it was a New Mexico license plate. Uh, the Frome's kidnapping, torture, and ultimate murder has never been officially solved, like I mentioned, in the eyes of Texas and remains one of the biggest mysteries of the Texas High Plains. Chris, that concludes tonight's episode, The Frome Murders. If you want to see pictures related to this case, you can follow us on Facebook. Don't follow us on Instagram because we were hacked. Jerks. So maybe we'll eventually start over on Instagram, but not tonight. <laughs> not tonight not tonight facebook is where we are going to be posting details of these cases and everything else so follow us there um if you can um chateau right thanks for the wine tonight it was delicious chris thank it you was. for the food tonight certainly um tis the season for giving back so um as always we want to highlight an organization but chris it is um the season of giving I couldn't decide on just one organization. It's so hard at Christmas time. So I thought I would just encourage everyone listening to give back in some way this holiday season, whether it's Toys for Tots, the Salvation um, the Salvation Army money bucket that you see outside of stores. Please put your change in there. It goes a long way. An angel from an angel tree, volunteering your time to just serve your community. Just choose something. Choose something. This is the time to put a good foot forward into the new year. So please decide to give your time or dollars to something that means um, means probably everything to someone, right? And you just don't mm-hmm. know it. But no doubt. 
Um, but it, it's time to, it's, this is the season of, of giving. Um, and it, and it just feels good to give. So, um, choose your, choose and your you can favorite give your time. It doesn't have to be money. That's what I said. Toys. Choose yes. your time or dollars, yes. right? Yeah. Time. Choose your time or dollars. Definitely time. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Some people don't have the time to volunteer. So they like to give money, which is totally fine. That goes a very long way too. $5 at a food bank can feed a lot more families than you think. So, so anything you can give to just, you know, if you don't have the time and you want to give money, that's amazing. If you have the time, give the time. Very rewarding. Of course it is. Serving a meal to someone. I mean, all of that goes a long way. So, so tis the season of giving. Um, and sounds like Brandy's giving a five (laughs) dollars. I have already done the angel from the angel tree. Thank you very much, Chris Diamond. And I've and I've given money in the Salvation Army money bucket. So it looks like I'm to Brandy zero Chris. Have you done either of those things? Uh, we've already had this conversation. You know where I go every day. <laughs> oh, you got right. a lot of catching up to get to me and what I and who's given. Oh yeah, you, you yeah. You got yeah. a lot of catching up. So all right, babe. Well, I am. Um, that's it for me tonight. Do you have anything else you want to mention? No, I don't. Just okay. see what's in store for next week and next week's episode and next wine and yes, we've got um, we've got you. one final one from Chateau Wright, yes. which we're going to pair, which is perfect. We saved it for the last, which it's um, it's a dessert wine. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to try it. Um, all right, friends. Until next time, stay safe, have fun, and cheers to next time. Cheers. 